welcome everybody to Carpool q and I'm here with Pastor Tom. We've just wrapped up the second service at our Gold Coast Church plant, Hope Reform Baptist Church, Gold Coast. And now we're driving up the road to Logan for Tom to preach up there. This Q&A is going to be covering all things church planting, all things related to church, ecclesiology, missiology, mission. And so send in your questions in the comments and we'll be covering all the questions. So first question for you, Pastor Tom. Mm -hmm. When should a church decide to plant a new church? Oh, wow. Good question. Yeah, starting easy, I guess. <laughs> With the question. A church should definitely decide as early on as possible or an eldership because I guess not every church is starting from scratch yep. um, but an eldership should decide as early on as possible that it will be planting churches that should be something that should be a part of a church's ministry philosophy or missiology from the very get-go is that if we believe in the Great Commission then more churches need to be planted if we believe that Christ builds his kingdom through his church through the proclamation of the gospel, then that requires churches to be established. So if you're a part of that, if you're a faithful part of that, you will be in some measure responsible for church planning. So you should decide as early on as possible that you will be planting churches. I don't think that is a is an option uh, to be a faithful New Testament church. But when that actually takes place is... Maybe the answer is that it, it, it's okay to be a completely different answer for every single different church because right. um, uh, different people have different capacities, different skills. Um, uh, uh, Paul definitely was willing to take the providence of God in somewhere like Philippia and Thessalonica and move just a couple of weeks or months after establishing the church. He would move away because the providence of God in his persecution and in the political climate of the city made it impossible for him to stay so he went on to plant another one now he was an apostle he was paul there's lots of things we can say that is very specific to him but at least we can't say that's unbiblical if a missionary goes into a town establishes christians establishes a church and three months later persecution pushes him out and he has to leave the the indigenous christians there that's not a failure on his part that's at least what happened to paul so um so that's probably the as quick as you ever want to be kind of style. I would at least say you probably need less of all the ducks in a row as people think because we don't want to do a, a tidy forced church split where we plan a year out to send a third of our resources, a third of our people, a third of our eldership, a third of our budget down to a different location and call it a church plan. That's not really a plant because it hasn't started with a seed and then grown. Rather, it's just chopping off a few branches from one tree and shoving it in the ground somewhere else. I think doing that is like a, it's very safe because it's hard to fail. But no matter what, you'll have 30 people rock up every week. You'll have enough money. You'll have enough givers. You'll have enough servers. Whereas I think New Testament ministry would be that uh, one guy who can preach and one deacon can, can just decide we have what it takes to go down and, and start preaching the gospel so that we evangelize a church into existence. And if other people from other churches or our sending church want to join in and help be a part of that as part of their mission work, then all power to them. They can absolutely do that. But yeah, a church should try and do it definitely as soon as possible. And with, you know, removing as many 
idealist things as possible because otherwise it'll just never get done because I, I don't think a church will ever feel like they're totally stable enough to plant and send and not lose anything by, by doing that. Sweet. Question two. Why aren't we starting in a home and doing a home church and letting it grow organically? Why hire out a building? Mm. Um, one of my favorite questions. I was actually chatting to another guy from another state, a pastor about that this, this week. He was just sort of picking my brain and talking about church planning stuff. There's definitely nothing sinful about meeting in, in houses. As a church, we do that with our Bible studies yep. and our fellowship groups. There's definitely, and this needs to be said, there's definitely nothing more holy or more New Testament about meeting in a house than in a, a rented building. Definitely not. I mean, the, the, the very first instance that we have of public gatherings is in the big sort of rented colonnades of the temple. So large public areas like a conference room type thing would be the modern day equivalent. So churches were gathering wherever they could all fit. Historically, house churches have been a handy model where there's been persecution because they're hard, obviously you can't build a church, a church building and it's harder to find those Christians. It's also able to change location every week or where there are uh, extremely limited resources and it's just not an option from the beginning to be renting a building. That's, that would be a waste of money. However, I don't think that in our Western uh, uh, context, starting a house church is necessarily, is really at all the most missional thing. In other words, to start in a house simply because you don't want to start in a building, like it feels more spiritual. And that's almost always the reason why people do it. Mm. I mean, you can rent a building for 30 bucks you know, an hour, there's no way you don't have 60 bucks in the budget. If you don't have 60 bucks, then you're not trusting God enough or you shouldn't be planning a church. If you've got at least 60 bucks, you can rent a public room and then you've got the ability to publicly advertise it and say, hey guys, come along, community come along and it's neutral ground so people can feel, uh, people can come and they don't feel like they're walking into people's homes. I would, yeah, I, I, I think that that would be a, a lower level of, commitment to be able to just come to a, a building room and walk on in would be less confronting to a non-Christian or a non-church person than having to come to a person's private residence and walk in and say, hey, I saw the invite or staying on the road, Sam. Yep, on the road. Got those markers there for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, why not in a house? Because there's no benefit to doing it in a house. Do we have anything against doing it in a house? Well, not really, but yeah, kind of, because it's not as accessible to people. And I'm always praying and expecting that God's going to bring to us just random people off the street, people who aren't connected yeah. to anybody else, right? People awesome. who just found us online. And and that has, I can say since I was a pastor, I started pastoring back in August 2019. Since that day, except for some of our COVID weekends when, you know, it's all very quiet and locked down, there has been a visiting person every single service since August 2019 as an answer to prayer from God. There's never been a single service that I remember that I've been able to look around and go, I knew I've seen everybody here before. Yep. Always. So that's something I think is really important, especially for a church plan is you want to be able to just have the cleanup walking past the room and go, Hey, a song and walk on in and then hear the gospel and be saved. I want to just leave us as open as possible to the providence of God and 
it's not to say that you can't be blessed in a house. And of course, you've got other people who are closer to, you know, your own family members and all that who, who are very welcome, who may feel very welcome in, in, in a setting like a house church. But I think even more so to the broader general public is if it's in a public setting. Yeah, very good points. Okay, question three. Why are you, Pastor Tom, the elder of Logan Hope Reformed Baptist Church, preaching at Gold Coast Hope Reformed Baptist Church? If it's a new church, shouldn't it have new eldership? Good stuff. So stay on the road, mate. On the road. It's all good. We're going to die. <laughs> um, so I am preaching elder at Hope Reformed Baptist Church Logan in a team of elders with Vic and Keith. And we are, all three of us, elders over the outreach into the Gold Coast, which is our church plant. So we all three remain elders over this venture because it is not its own independent church yet. So that is an option that you could do. I don't think it would be ideally biblical to do to be in a functional elder over two independent churches i wouldn't believe in that so i wouldn't want to be sent to the gold coast to be the elder of hope from baptist church logan with its own membership and constitution they voted me in to be an elder and then also be an elder in another church i don't believe that's a biblical model yeah um however at this point there is not a critical mass of people at gold coast yet to have a membership we believe, especially as Reformed Baptists, this would even come back to our confession, but uh, we would believe that elders need to be called by the people they are going to shepherd. And to do that, you first need a membership. So to become an independent local church, you need members that agree on a constitution. And then those members, in the very first members meeting they ever have, they appoint for themselves an elder. Ideally, a plurality of elders, so two or three elders, because that's what we see everywhere in the testament is that there is always a multiple a multiplicity of elders not just a single person so at the moment what we have is we're in a church plant phase it's not an independent church it doesn't have its own membership it doesn't have its own eldership i'm not a single elder on the gold coast but vic and keith have both been involved in the planning keith was here last week he wasn't here this week vic will be here uh, in different weeks i will continue to carry out my God-given role in gifting, which is teaching. That will continue to be my main thing. So I'll be preaching at both, but the Gold Coast Church plant, in its planting phase, still finds itself underneath the uh, umbrella of eldership of Hope, uh, Hope Reformed Baptist Church. Yeah. So when it becomes independent, we will aim, yeah, to have distinct elders. Mm-hmm. Who those are yet, we don't know, because yeah. God willing, my, my plan is to stay at Logan and we'll raise up new people for Gold Coast. Other people will come to the church. People will be raised up in the church. Maybe somebody is sent from Hope Church down there, but at the moment we're just, who knows what a year can bring. So we're, you know, we're praying for that at about the 12 month mark to be able to make it independent. But that's the, a lot can happen in 12 months. We'll see what God does. Awesome. That kind of leads straight into the next question. So church planting models. Which church planting models do you advocate and what situations would they be appropriate? And on the contrary, are there unbiblical church models that you see are common? If there are official entitled models out there, I don't know what they are. I've never read a book on church planting. So I don't, I don't, I don't know uh, if, if there's a particular thing, particular type or style you want me to talk to. If so, jump in and say, yep. yeah, there's some... 
I guess there's, there's I, I can just really speak anecdotally. So from what I've seen other people do, or other pastors do, or other friends right. do, I think there's the traveling missionary, almost apostolic type church planning. I'm not saying they're apostles, but doing what the apostles did, which was like move into a place, preach until there's people saved, set up elders and go. That is a biblical form of church planning because we can see the apostles do it. And, and we see that happen all over the world. One of the risks that that brings up is heresy is able to come in quickly because you've got people who are recently saved. If it's an unchurched area, mm. you get people saved and then you move on six months later. The most mature Christian there is a six-month-old Christian. Mm. Even that is not the end of the world. Paul would just go back and visit them and write to them again. And, you know, we've got the, the inspired canon. So that, that takes a lot of faith. But that's that's a fair ground, a fair mm. model. I, don't, I wouldn't really try for that in in our modern context because I think there's ways to be much more effective. I don't need to leave a city to be affected elsewhere, right? So I can continue to do all of my ministry at Oprah Baptist while also planting down here. I don't need to up and leave. So, yeah, contextually, not what I'm going to do, but that's a fair model. Other models would be more lifetime missionary models, and this would probably especially be cross-cultural when you move somewhere and just become a missionary incarnate into the people, learn their language, dress like them, eat like them, live like them. And as long as it takes, you just stay there until people get evangelized, a church starts, and then, you know, you die there. So if the church thrives and explodes, you stay there and continue to oversee it. If you, if it struggles and it's like two or three people after 20 years, you just keep on going. Mm-hmm. That would also be a, a biblical model. Probably the the unbiblical model I would not be keen on, which is what came up before, was more along the lines of fail-safe tree planting. So, so that instead of planting a seed of the gospel through a through the gospel being preached, mm. so that the, a church grows up out of that seed, rather uh, splitting a tree in half and taking 30 people down to a certain area and starting a new church. Mm. Like That's cool. Like, there's nothing against... I don't think there's any laws against splitting a church. I just don't see how that's a mission move. And usually it gets runs on the board by being able to say, we planted a church. Well, really, you just made one of your church services smaller and another, and you, and people are just now just meeting in a different location. Now, that's okay if, if what they're planning is, you know, yeah, but that's to start us off and then we, we plan to grow from people from the outside in that new area. Yeah, but I don't like that as a model, as in, that's not what we've done, not what we want to do. This would not be our model because it immediately removes the intensity of the mission and the urgency. As soon as you walk into a building and there's you know more than 10 people as a church goer, or maybe you're on the church plant team or whatever, or you're the pastor, you can be tempted to feel like, oh, good, we're not failing. There's enough people here that if I go and, you know, if I put a photo of us up on Instagram, it won't be embarrassing, right? The temptation is always to get idle and to feel satisfied because there's not an embarrassingly low amount of people here and to then not uh, strive urgently to see more people saved. Whereas if we went to a new city, right, two hours drive away and we sent an elder and a deacon, right, church planning team, going to Byron. Two guys. Or going to, yeah, Sunshine Coast. No one's going to be ducking up there, you know, from hope. In between Sundays, they're just going. They're going out to Whoop Whoop or they're going out somewhere, a fair driver, and they're moving there. If they do that, and after two Sundays, it's still just them and their families in the building, they're going to have the very 
present urgent pressure on themselves by just being in the room to feel like, oh man, we need to, we need to get active because we're, we don't just want to keep on hanging out together every Sunday. We want to see this thing grow. So yeah, I would want to avoid church planning models that mitigate failure and that bubble wrap the whole process. You know, there's some, there's some processes that you get so much money from the planting organization. You get so much support from your sending church that no matter what happens, you'll have what you need. You'll have your, you know, the pastor will have his salary looked out for. And this is a lot of stuff that maybe in the reformed world, we don't like talking about pragmatic stuff or money or spreadsheets. But the reality is. If, if, if somebody feels called to plant a church and after three years the church is still just him and his family, he's not merited the church's resources. He, he shouldn't, you know, he, he doesn't have the, the competency or the skills to be taking resources from the church to grow anything because he's not able to grow from it. And that's how Jesus works. He says, I give you talents, I expect investment. And so sometimes we get a bit uncomfortable at that because that doesn't feel very grace-based. But a lot of the Christian life is in fact merit-based. It's just that our right standing with God is not merit-based on ours, right? In, in terms of our merit. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, and the pastor really has to think, is the amount that we're spending, is the amount that we're doing, is the amount of hours that we're exerting, is that worth the amount of inflow that there is? The amount of money that's coming in? Is this, is this sustainable? Like sometimes it can feel like a not very faithful thing to ask but you have to ask about mission sustainability unless you're willing to be like paul and work full time and totally fund yourself and then pay for everybody else with you and look after the church you have to ask you know is this is this sustainable so yeah anything that bubble wraps the process so that the church planter cannot fail no matter what i don't like that model. i really just want somebody with real leadership to just step out. Whoever wants to help him helps him out. Mm. But, you know, it's God ultimately who is his employer. It's God ultimately who has made him an overseer and a, and a preacher. And so that should be yeah. that should be evident in the model. Oh, there we go. That is a much better idea. Just something you've said there, you've mentioned sending out an elder with a deacon. Is there a reason you say elder and deacon? Can you just send out an elder send out two elders is there an intentionality with that language yeah well again it's pragmatic it would be what is both biblical and would work so if you send out two elders you've got two people who according to scripture they can both say it is not given to us according to Acts 6 it is not given to us to wait tables I must be taken up in the word of God and prayer that's what the apostles said and that's why they brought four deacons in the first place in Acts mm. 6 so okay but in a church you need somebody to wait tables. You need somebody to do the admin. You need somebody to set up the chairs. And so, yeah, you can go, okay, well, we're just going to be elders who do everything. Right. But now you're failing in your job because part of the elder's job is to keep the main thing the main thing and not get distracted with other good things. And, and so that's why God gave us the deacon. Yeah, again, you could, you could even ask, why don't we plant with three elders and two deacons? But again, then you're going, well, uh, you've got half a church there. Uh, you've got three, five office spirits with no membership. Uh, and in fact, really, and technically, he's not an elder until he's voted on the sending church to be a sent elder. Mm. And he's not an elder over the people until they, having been gathered under his preaching, then by vote affirm him as their shepherd. So that's what, when we say we send an elder, we mean 
we send an elder qualified person. Now, maybe they are functionally an elder in hope. Maybe they're just qualified for it, but we're not going to make them an elder here because we're going to send them. So they'll be a sent elder or a sent elder qualified person. And then they might be an actual deacon or just a deacon qualified person who will do the role of the deacon. Yeah, so it's, it's functional. But he, he can focus on the praying, the preaching, the teaching ministry, the Bible studies, the, the counseling, the uh, dealing with lost souls. And the deacon can deal with all of the practical stuff and then while also seeking as much as he possibly can to be doing the work of the ministry, the mm. work of the evangelist. Very good. Okay, last question before we're about two minutes from church. What is the vision looking ahead for Hope Reform Baptist Church Gold Coast? And what are some prayer points for the church plant as we head out? Mm. My vision for Hope is that we would plant five churches in 10 years mm. and that each church that we plant seeks to do the same. So my model, as we've already been discussing, as is evident through Gold Coast, is I will plant a satellite church around, around Hope Reform Baptist Church. That is somewhere that I can go, I can drive to in between services and start off. Mm. And then within 12 to 2 years, that 12 months to 2 years, absolute maximum, but hopefully, hopefully around the 12-month mark, I can give off to qualified men that we've trained up so that that's now an independent church. And then I can do that again in the next two-year period somewhere else half an hour to 45 minutes away from church mm. the aim would then be that those other churches do the same so within their first two years they are reaching out somewhere to send one of their elders to do two services a day um, planting a satellite church once that becomes independent he stays or they raise up new people out there um, and i think that there is much need for that you know we're not big eva big institutional lots of uh, lots of money or big institutions resting, you know, that we're resting on. We're just mm. very grassroots and um, that's how we like it. I think that's the key and one of the secrets to the future of the Reformed Church in Australia. Mm. And so that's what people can be praying for. Elder qualified men to be raised up and to come to Hope Gold Coast. And then, of course, looking into the future, people who can also plant out from Hope Gold Coast within our first two years so that she can continue on the vision that we have begun on from hope mm. and there we have it we just pulled up amazing and we made it we did You're driving we made it. Kill us. praise god 